Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 14th of September and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and joining me this week to be uh, one of the readers is Catherine Neal. Hello. And I was hoping that Jane Fairs would be here and Phil Lee, but unfortunately they both had to cry off very last minute and we were not able to find any replacements. So it is just Catherine and me. John Plush is also on holiday, uh, so I'd like to welcome Barry Hurd, who's very kindly stepped in as our engineer for this week's recording. Thank you, Barry. Thanks too, as always, to Carol Hartle and all the volunteers who work so hard to get these recordings out to our listeners. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course the birthday file. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add you to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We love to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766 or alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers which Catherine is going to read for us. Yes, so here are the telephone numbers Worcester Talking News 01905 767 766, Police Non Emergency 101, NHS Direct 111. For out of hours medical assistance between 6 pm and 8 pm, O three hundred one two three three two one one. Crime Stoppers, O eight hundred five 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 one one one. The Community Risk Team for Fire Safety, O eight hundred O three two one one five five. The Domestic Abuse Helpline, O eight hundred nine eight zero. 3331 Worcester County Council here to help 01905 768053 and request option 3 The Worcester Hub 01905 765765 Sense Adventures Walking for the Visually Impaired Telephone D. Jones on 01684 819796. Samaritans, which is a free phone number, 116123. Worcester Theatre's box office, 01905 611427. The Malvern Theatre box office, 01684 892277 The Norbury Theatre in Droitwich 
The box office for that is 01905-770154. And number eight theatre at Pershaw, the box office there, the number is 01386-555488. The National Grid, which is formerly Western Power, has got a 24-hour service on 0800 917-7953 and you can use this in the event of a power cut. There's a priority service which you can register free for on 0800-032-8302 who will provide information, that's for the National Grid and power cuts. For example, they will provide information there in Braille, large print or alternative languages. Thank you. And I have um, a fairly long list this week of some what's on in Worcestershire. And I'll start with an event taking place in Worcester Cathedral on Saturday, the 23rd of September. The multi-award winning tenor Russell Watson, accompanied by world-renowned pianist Mike Moran, is performing a very special show in the magnificent setting of the cathedral. Described as a truly spectacular concert experience, this is a magical evening not to be missed, apparently. Reserved tickets are priced from £54.45p to £74.25p and can be bought from the box office on 01256 416 384. On Friday the 22nd of September, another concert is taking place, but this one's free and it's over in Great Malvern Priory and at lunchtime, starting at 1pm. The internationally acclaimed Masterworks Chorale will be performing a variety of sacred, secular and traditional choral music from the last 500 years, with organist Matthew Lazenby and musical director Tim Knight. All donations go to Great Malvern Priory. Staying in Malvern, there's an interesting show running at Malvern Theatre from the 19th of September to the 23rd. London Classic Theatre presents Faith Healer by Brian Friel. Using four enthralling monologues, Friel interweaves stories about Frank Hardy, a 1950s faith healer, his wife and his manager. And in the ensuing performance, the audience is taken on a journey of shifting perspectives and uncertain memories. Evening performances start at 7.30pm and there are matinees on Wednesdays and Saturdays. For more details and tickets, contact the box office on 01684 892277. If you enjoy cricket, you might want to head to the Huntington Hall in Worcester on Thursday, September the 28th. There you'll find Jonathan Agnew, ex-cricketer, now commentator extraordinaire, recounting wonderful tales from his highly entertaining career, both on the field and behind a microphone. For more details, contact the box office on 01905 611 Back to theatre now, and over in Malvern, the award-winning producer New Old Friends in association with Mast Mayflower Studios are delighted to announce their UK tour of the hilarious tennis-based murder mystery Crimes on Centre Court. It will visit Malvern Theatres on September the 29th and 30th. The hard-working cast of four, who take on a multitude of characters, including Chris, uh, Katrina Brown, these are the 
actors, obviously, Catriona Brown, Kirsty Cox, Emil Clark, and Ben Thornton. What follows has all the hallmarks of New Old Friends' brand of hilarity as a cast of the four play countless characters with quick-fire changes and quicker wits in a story that will rally your spirits and leaving you wanting a second serving of the volley of gags and visual delights. That's not my um, puns, I hasten to add. For details, contact Morven Box Office on 01684 892 277. Finally, just a quick heads up that the Morven Show is back over at the Three Counties and that's on on the 22nd, 23rd and 24th of September and that is, as they say, harvesting the best of autumn. The RHS Flower Show will be there, giant vegetables, special guests as yet not... um, signified there's a gin show western cider garden plant and bulb arcades and garden and lifestyle shopping so that's the 22nd 23rd and 24th of september right that was a long what's on we'll now get on with the news and catherine will read all the headlines for the week and then kick off with the first news story which is last friday Mm -hmm. thanks pippa So the headline last Friday, September the 8th, was Crackdown on Boy Racers, New Finds and Cameras at City Retail Parks. The headline for Saturday and Sunday was Dogs Saved from Suspicious Blaze. On Monday, September the 11th, it was Drugs Farm a Surprise Find, discovery made during unrelated incident. Tuesday, September the 12th, Revealed, a jar plans for rest of porcelain site. Scheme includes gym, pool houses and restaurants. On Wednesday, September the 13th, the headline was Man found dead on boat. Police say death at Diglis Marina, not suspicious. And today, Thursday, September the 14th, the headline is I do not want to be left homeless. Mum's fears over £500 rent hike. Okay, so I'll start with the headline story for last Friday, Crackdown on Boy Races. Drivers who park in two retail parks at night face big fines thanks to new new cameras after fed-up residents complained of boy racers performing dangerous donuts. Warning signs and ANPR cameras have appeared at both the Blackpool Retail Park and the Elgar Retail Park in Blackpool, Worcester. Residents say the cameras and signs were introduced at the Elgar base at the end of last week and at the Blackpool base on Monday, and the system is now live. Parking is now prohibited between 9pm and 6am at both retail parks, with enforcement managed by UK Parking and drivers facing fines of up to £100. Both retail parks are popular with young people. The Elgar Retail Park has a KFC drive-thru and the Blackpool Retail Park a McDonald's drive-thru. The Worcester News understands there is a tablet in front of the KFC where drivers must enter their registration to avoid getting a ticket. Residents have complained to West Mercia Police about antisocial driving, such as drivers performing donuts in the car park of the Blackpool Retail Park and sounding car horns late at night. One resident of Salters Close said, Boy racers are tearing round the Blackpool Retail Park yet again, doing donuts and revving exhausts. Another resident said, I don't see it's an effective way to stop boy racers. One Blackpool resident said, 
I don't think it will work. How are they going to enforce it? Are they going to have police officers sat there or traffic wardens? There are boy racers up here. Somebody is going to get killed. Get a couple of police cars up here with speed cameras to enforce it or put up permanent speed cameras. Councillor Jill DeSera has been campaigning against the potential introduction of what is rumoured to be a Starbucks drive through coffee shop on the Elgar Retail Park. The Warnden Labour councillor said, I'm aware of the many reports of antisocial driving in the Blackpool re- Retail Park around McDonald's. Since the introduction of the ANPR cameras, the issue seems to have lessened. However, it's early days. I hope it has a positive effect, in which case it's a welcome move. We've approached Legal in General, which manages the Elgar Retail Park, for a comment, but they've not responded. Safer Neighbourhood Inspector for Worcester City, Tanya Beckett, said, SNT are aware of and are working with the community, retailers and the council, to respond to these concerns. The team have already been in contact to actively patrol and have already identified individuals that contribute to this antisocial behaviour. They're already have been several formal road traffic disposals as well as education and engaging with local motorists. The team and council are working towards longer-term engineering solutions too. And the headline for Saturday and Sunday, September the 9th and 10th, Dogs Saved from Suspicious Blaze. Sleeping dogs were saved from certain death after a suspicious fire engulfed a disabled woman's dog pen and shed, causing an estimated £20,000 worth of damage. Linda Collins was recovering from a hip operation at home in Langdale Drive in Warnden when a neighbour alerted her to the fire, which started in an alleyway behind her house. The 60-year-old had been sitting on her sofa in her nightie after the procedure, when she noticed something was wrong. I feel depressed about what has happened, as if I haven't got enough to cope with. The garden isn't secure anymore because the fire has destroyed the fence. The pen is normally where the dogs sleep. The dogs are a bit nervous now. Any noise and they seem to jump, she said. A 9-9 call was made at around 6.30pm on Thursday evening as the fire quickly spread to trees, a shed and dog pen in the back garden next to an alleyway off Borrowdale Drive. A woman driving past the house helped Mrs Collins get out as she had difficulty with mobility because of the operation after she dislocated a hip and needed it put back in place on Wednesday. It was a struggle to do the steps with the pain, but they got me out before the fire service got here, she said. The 20 foot by 10 foot shed contained fridges, freezers and fishing gear. A neighbour helped to get her dogs Storm and Purdy to safety. Yesterday, that's Friday, the alleyway was still covered in the charred remains of a sofa and other rubbish dumped in the alleyway. Mrs Collins said a neighbour was having a cigarette and saw the flames, alerting her to the danger by knocking on her door. A fire service spokesman said, The fire involved two sheds, 20 metres of hedgerow and conifer trees, which were all well alight. The fire was extinguished using two hose reels and one main jet. There were no casualties, but police attended due to the suspicious nature of the fire. The incident was marked as pending closing at sorry pending closure at 8:06 p.m. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, "We are aware and inquiries are ongoing." 
Right. <clears throat> On Monday, the headline story was City Cannabis Find Was a Big Surprise. A surprise cannabis grow has been found in a terraced house in Worcester after police made the unexpected discovery while officers investigated an unrelated incident. Officers attended the terraced house for another matter and discovered a cannabis grow inside, quickly sealing off the address as a crime scene. The Wilds Lane cannabis grow was found yesterday morning as police decided to tape off the city home and carry out a search. At one stage, three police vehicles, including a crime scene investigation unit, were present at the scene, while drivers on the main roads slowed down for a better look. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, Officers will remain at the scene while they clean up the plants and equipment. No arrests have been made and investigations are ongoing. Officers have not yet confirmed how many plants were seized, the scale of the grow or the maturity of the plants. Throughout the, morning, throughout the morning, officers and workers from the National Grid could be seen coming and going from the property as the electricity supply had to be disconnected. Police taped off the doorway and an alleyway at the side of the property to create a cordon and they also spoke with the neighbours so they could gain access to the next door property as part of their ongoing investigation. Meanwhile, scenes of crime officers later arrived as part of a crime scene investigation unit, donning forensic gloves before they entered the house. One scene of the crime officer took several pictures inside and outside the property and also brought forensic tools into the address. At one stage, he emerged carrying a can of carling, as evidence was seized for analysis. The Worcester News understands nobody was at the property at the time officers arrived. Evidence bags for cash were also requested as officers searched the home. One curious motorist stopped in the road to ask officers what was going on. When he was told of the cannabis grow, he said he wished he'd known about it sooner before laughing and accelerating away. <laughs> A headline for Tuesday, September the 12th revealed major plans for rest of porcelain site. Major plans to transform some of the remaining parts of the city's famous porcelain factory have been revealed. Several buildings at the former Royal Worcester Porcelain Factory in Diglis, Worcester, would be converted into new houses and apartments, a gym, shops and restaurants, and offices according to plans by Barnet Property Group. A new gym and swimming pool, office space and car parking, and electric charging points for cars and bikes would also be provided as part of the wider work, as well as more flats and two- and three-bedroom townhouses with roof gardens. Barclay Homes, which has converted large parts of the area into housing in the last 15 years, did have permission to build 40 apartments alongside a new restaurant, but the work was never finished. A planning application to convert the throwing house in Prince's Drive into six apartments has been submitted to Worcester City Council, with the application also providing more details on the overall project and what would be built. The work would eventually see six sites across the historic factory transformed as part of the waterside development. Each site will be subject to a separate planning application that would then need decisions from Worcester City Council. A statement said, It is intended that the project is phased over a period of time and the exact timings and order of development 
will become apparent on the success of each proposal at the planning stage. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Grade 2 listed Bone Mill was partly renovated by Barclay Homes in around 2009 with a view to turning the building into a new restaurant, but remained unfinished. The outside of the building was restored during the work to protect it from flooding, but no potential restaurateur came forward to move in, despite it being on the market for several years. The latest application states that the lack of interest in the building as a restaurant was an indication that older plans needed some adjustments to make it more appealing, and an excessive focus on protecting the history of the building meant it had been left incomplete and unused. It may be the case that within the previous scheme, insufficient floor space was made available to prospective businesses due to the excessive retention of existing historic features, a statement included with the application said. In turn, this may have resulted in not enough covers being made available to create a viable business. More flats have been proposed for the bone mill alongside a potential new restaurant, museum or offices. The four-floor gilding house has already been partly converted into apartments by Barclay Homes and more flats would be built under the new plans, similar to those proposed for the throwing house. The building known as Site 6 off Mill Street would be demolished to make way for a two-storey coach house with new apartments. <clears throat> right. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday, September the 13th, the headline story was Man Dies on Boat in Dock. A large emergency service presence descended on Diglis Marina after a man died on a boat. Officers found one man in his 50s dead and his death is not thought to be suspicious. Police, firefighters and ambulance crews were called to Diglis Docks early on Tuesday. A West Midlands ambulance service spokesperson said... We were called to an incident on a boat just after 8am. Two ambulances, two paramedic officers and the Trust's hazardous area response team were sent to the scene, where on arrival crews found a male patient. Sadly, it quickly became clear that nothing could be done to save the man and he was confirmed dead at the scene. One eyewitness spoke of seeing a sea of paramedics at Diglis Docks. I was in the car on my way to my mum's in Diglis at around 8.55am and saw multiple ambulances, at least four or five, with incident response unit on the sides, parked along the Diglis Marina next to the Anchor pub, the eyewitness said. As we got closer, there were more and more ambulances, fire engines, police cars and the most responders I've ever seen in one area. A spokesperson from Aquavista, who manage operations at Diglis Docks, said their staff had been the first to call the emergency services, with an ambulance arriving first on the scene within minutes. Piston distillery workers said they saw police and an ambulance first at 8am, with a fire engine turning up later. And uh, really, basically, that's the end of the story, um, with a lot of repetition about the people turning up. <coughs> Fair enough. I think there's quite a lot of that this week, yes. actually. So the headline for uh, today, that's Thursday, September the 14th. I do not want to be left homeless. Mum's fears over £500 rent hike. Sorry about my cough. <coughs> it's too much uh, talking with no gaps. <laughs> so a tearful single mum fears becoming homeless over plans to put up her rent by £500. 
Fiona Hadley, aged 41, has lived at her house in Chalfont Close, Northwick, for the last four years, with her two children, but now says she's been given notice to leave. The Worcester mum, who broke down in tears, now fears being homeless or ending up in temporary accommodation, such as a travel lodge, after a proposed £500 per month rent rise. Her 12-year-old son, Taylor Doriwala, has Down syndrome and she said he's worried about where he's going to live. Miss Hadley, who's unemployed, says her family feels settled at the address. Has not paid the full amount, she said, was proposed so far after interim arrangements were made for her to pay £950 per month. Both the letting agent and the city council say they are providing her with support. The 41-year-old says her letting agent, Northwood, had told her it was putting up her rent from £760 to £1,050 and then £1,250 per month, which she could not afford, although the agent has disputed the accuracy of these figures. The mum said she had received support from a Worcester City Council housing officer to remain at the address. She said she's been paying £950 per month for the last three months as a temporary measure after the housing officer became involved in the negotiations. She said she could probably manage £900 a month. She said she was served with a Section 21 notice to leave in April, but then contacted the housing officer. I'm devastated. I don't want to be put anywhere horrible. This was a perfect location. It's convenient. My parents live nearby. I don't drive. I'm near the shops. I've got to find storage and I don't want to go down the social housing route. I'm worried about being homeless. She said the council was now struggling to find her a three-bedroom property, but she would be happy with a two-bedroom. She's not in work and is paying her rent out of housing and other benefits, but has had to cut back her spending. Miss Hadley said, I'm having a mental breakdown. I've got to move out. I don't know how long I have got left. I don't want to go into temporary accommodation. I don't really I don't want a really bad place, but I've been told I have to accept the first option she gives me. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said it is providing help, advice and support to Miss Hadley. A spokesperson for Northwood said Miss Hadley had been given notice on February the first, saying she had two months to leave. But negotiations had taken place and we haven't given her a date and that she was paying £950 per month until the council found her something suitable and affordable. So that concludes the headline news stories for the week. And now Catherine and I will uh, canter through <laughs> um, the general stories that we've found in the next, in yeah. the last seven days. So if you'd like to start, Catherine. Yeah. So here's a story with a bit of local history attached. A new restaurant could soon be opening on the site where the county's most famous sauce was first made. The yet-to-be-revealed restaurant will be taking over the vacant unit at 68 Broad Street in Worcester, where chemists John Wheelie Lee and William Hen Henry Perrins first joined forces to create Worcestershire sauce more than 180 years ago. The application submitted by Birmingham-based A&E Edgebaston to Worcester City Council, asked for permission to install a ventilation system in the building in preparation for a new restaurant. The building was last used by Café Patisserie Valerie until 2019, and then the RSPCA, before suddenly closing in April. 
The application doesn't include a potential name for the new restaurant or for the style of food, but does state that it expects the opening hours to be 8am to 11pm every day. A statement included with the application said, It's considered that the restaurant will be an important part of the vibrancy of Broad Street. Considering there have been a few vacant spots in the area, which were formerly restaurants, it's the hope that this new restaurant would contribute to the revival of the area. The cafe closed in 2019, despite Patisserie Valerie being saved from administration by private equity firm Causeway Capital Partners. Worcester's Cafe was closed alongside 14 others after being deemed one of the smaller and poorer performing outlets. It was then taken over by the RSPCA, which used it as a pop-up shop until April this year. Heartbroken manager of that shop, Sam Fredericks, said she'd been given just a a month's notice the building would be sold. An application to convert the upper floors of the Broad Street building into flats was approved by the county council, the city council, earlier this year. This year marks the 200th anniversary of the partnership of John Wheelie Lee and William Henry Perrins, who moved into Broad Street in 1823. The pair then began making the famous Lee and Perrins Worcestershire sauce in the back of the chemist at 68 Broad Street in 1837. The company later moved from Broad Street to a new factory in Midland Road in 1896, where the sauce is still made today. Lovely. This is another happy story. A war hero who thought he'd die in 1943 has celebrated his 100th birthday with a special RAF flyover. The flyover paid homage to Ron Tomlin's years of service as a sergeant bomb aimer in 10 Squadron RAF during the Second World War. Family and friends gathered to watch the plane fly over the party twice, with the aircraft dipping its wing for Mr Tomlin. I was quite impressed because of the size of the aeroplane and the fact that a force like that can do that on behalf of someone like me, he said. It was a nice little surprise and a better flight than anticipated. The flyover happened at 2pm yesterday, so that was the uh, Sunday the 10th, I think. Uh, um, Mr Tomlin's son David's home took place over Mr Tomlin's son David's home in Martley. Ron Tomlin, who now lives in Droitwich, was just 19 when he signed up to fight. On his fourth flyover to Germany, he experienced engine issues and crashed into the English Channel. And after 17 gruelling hours in the sea, he was captured by the Germans and sent to a prisoner of war camp. He said he was incredibly fortunate for the years he's had. The simple answer is I'm no different than I was yesterday. I'm no different than I was last week, and I'm no different from a year ago. But that is because things have happened. I'm pretty fortunate in the years I've got, and you could say I'm a healthy old man, but I would much rather be younger. Mr Tomlin has spent many good years with wife Frieda, who died at Christmas his two sons, David and Mike, and his many grandchildren. His son, David, said, I'm very proud of him, very proud of my father. We all hope to get to 100. And we had 70th, 80th, and now the 100th birthday party. Maybe the next one's 105. The flyover was organised by John Mason, President and Voluntary Welfare Officer of the Worcester and District's Royal Air Force Association. His role involves looking after anyone from the RAF, from any rank, at any age, to be there in their time of need, 
and make friendships with those who may be lonely. To think of the stress those boys went through, who were not even old enough to vote back then, but old enough to lose their lives, Mr Mason said. I really admire Ron. And the article is accompanied by some wonderful photographs of Ron and his family and the fly past. So very much a good news story. An entrepreneurial 10-year-old from Worcester has suddenly been flooded with sales after her only customer posted to Facebook. B. Hartin has been selling her homemade bracelets on the driveway of her home on Beckett Road in Clanes with the hopes of reaching her £1,100 goal to fund a scout trip. Business had been slow until happy customer Nicole Lester posted a glowing review on the public Facebook group Worcestershire Notice Board. Since then, she's seen a surge of customers, which has helped her get closer to the target for the trip to Poland. The post said, I passed a little girl on Beckett Road selling gorgeous bracelets she's handmade to raise funds for her scout trip in February. So far, she's raised £500 of her £1,100 goal. One pound each, and I bought five, as they will make beautiful gifts. She's professionally packaged them, and she's had no sales today apart from mine. She also has spider plants for sale. Please go and show her some support for her talent and work ethic. B will join scouts across Worcestershire and Herefordshire for the trip. B's proud mum, Lily, said she was tagged multiple times in the Facebook posts. She said, after the lady bought some of the bracelets from B and made that post, the next day we had loads of customers. The ski trip to Poland costs £1,100 and she's raised over £500 so far from selling these bracelets. We also regularly go camping and she's been selling them on the campsites as well to help reach her target. She makes them all herself, including the packing, which says, Handmade by B. I'm very proud of her. Nicole Lester said, I was the only sale she had that day, but what she had was great and I thought people would love her creations please say thank you to everyone that's come out to support me i'm so happy for her it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there the way b did and it's important to take care of people that are taking that chance and there are some very nice photographs of b with a table yes lovely so this article um i'll preface it by saying that i know that not everyone will or not everyone receives their recordings by the weekend. Sometimes the post delays things and or you may not actually listen to it straight away. But it's a heads up about a very busy um, weekend in Worcester and disruption that will follow as a result to traffic because lots of roads are closed. So listen carefully if you happen to have got your recording in time and are listening to it on Saturday morning. This weekend is set to be, and we're talking about the weekend of the 16th, 17th. That is right in the board. Yeah, 16th, 17th. This weekend is set to be busy with an action-packed calendar of events across Worcester. Worcester City Runs, Worcester Music Festival and Worcester Paint Festival will all take place this weekend, 16th and 17th. There will also be a new exhibition at the Worcester City Museum and Art Gallery and a special event at the Museum of Royal Worcester. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Louis Stevens, said, There really is something for everyone in Worcester over our big weekend of the 16th to 17th September. You can cheer on the amazing runners in the annual 10k and half marathon runs. 
You can admire the amazing work of the artists in action for the Paint Festival and enjoy an incredible range of live music at venues across the city. The Worcester City Runs programme starts on Saturday with Paula Radcliffe's Families on Track event at Worcester Racecourse. On Sunday, thousands of runners will be on the city streets for the 10k and half marathon events. The Croft Road and Corn Market car parks will be closed over the weekend to accommodate the runs and some roads will be closed on Sunday morning. Meanwhile, the Worcester Paint Festival will see street, mural and graffiti artists creating colourful new works at 16 different locations across the city. A free map of all the sites can be picked up at the Tourist Information Centre at the Guildhall, the Worcester City Museum and Art Gallery and the Festival HQ in Crowngate Shopping Centre. In partnership with the Paint Festival, the Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum in Fourgate Street will be opening its new exhibition called Paint the Streets. The exhibition will show the work of Worcester street artists alongside big names in street art such as Goldie, Banksy and Inky. Worcester Music Festival kicks off on Friday, September the 15th, running across the weekend with a packed programme of more than 200 free performances at over 20 city venues. And there's also a special event at the Museum of Royal Worcester running between 11am and 3pm on Saturday, September the 16th to unveil a new teapot sculpture and celebrate the city's porcelain legacy. Well, hopefully some of those events may have been flagged up last week. Mm. But I will mm. say this, it's often difficult to get information about what's on yes. until a day or two in advance, by which time it's too late for our listeners to benefit from it. Yeah. So we do our best. But there we go. Right, next story, Catherine. <laughs> uh, well, um, in, in the general news has had quite a lot about the Invictus Games and here's a local dimension to it. A team of researchers from the University of Worcester has been commissioned by the Royal British Legion to undertake a comprehensive evaluation into the 2023 Invictus Games. The project aims to provide the Royal British Legion with wide-ranging insights into the extent to which involvement in the Invictus Games programme aids wounded, sick and injured military personnel in their recovery journey. The sixth Invictus Games is currently being held in Dusseldorf, Germany, and sees competitors from around the world competing in a series of events. The university's project team is led by Professor Don Vinson, coaching and performance research group lead, and comprises Dr Emma Richardson, Senior Research Fellow in Inclusive Sport, Dr Gabriella Miska, Senior Lecturer in Psychology, whose research interests are focused on military and veteran issues, and Professor Gies Molnar, Inclusive Sport and Physical Activity Research Group lead. Professor Vinson said... We're really excited to undertake this important work on behalf of the Royal British Legion. This work epitomises our interest and passion for inclusive sport, which is a key area of research for the university and its School of Sport and Exercise. The project also complements the research on supporting military and veteran personnel and their families in their recovery from the visible and invisible combat traumas, an emerging multidisciplinary research theme led by Dr Gabriella Miska from the School of Psychology. 
Although we're in the very early stages of the project, it's already evident that the Invictus Games are so important to the competitors in their recovery journeys. We also know that a sizable proportion of the UK population is fascinated by the Games, and so we'll be very keen to share what we learn through a series of public events, exhibitions and academic publications. The Royal British Legion is currently responsible for the delivery of the Invictus programme for Team UK. This year, Team UK comprises 59 competitors, 6 reserves, 11 lead coaches and a whole host of support staff, assistant coaches, ambassadors and medical personnel. The project centres around the experience of three groups, namely competitors, exploring how the competitors' mental health and well-being have been impacted by their Invictus Games experience and how their identity has been shaped. Coaches, investigating how coaches are supported to facilitate the most valuable recovery environments possible and how they balance their roles supporting performance and aiding recovery. And thirdly, families, understanding how families are impacted by the competitor's injury and their recovery journey and how they support the recovery journey of the competitors. Dr Richardson has already spent many weekends attending the various training camps with a view to get, getting to know the competitors, coaches and also many of their family members. As well as focusing on the journey through to the Invictus Games this month, the project will continue for a further 18 months to help understand the longer-term impact of involvement with the Invictus Games programme. If you'd like to find out more about the project, you can email invictus at worc.ac.uk. Worcester's rollout of superfast broadband has been paused due to a network provider exiting a contract with a build partner. City Fibre has said it has exited a number of UK full fibre broadband contracts, including with the Kia Group, which has been carrying out Worcester's rollout. As we reported earlier this year, a 21 million city-wide project designed to bring the rollout of superfast internet to homes across Worcestershire has been underway. But broadband news site IS Preview has now reported City Fibre had exited the contract with Kia and the building of Worcester's infrastructure has been paused. IS Preview reports City Fibre has faced a difficult year with rising costs and competition, announcing hundreds of job losses earlier this year. Work has also been suspended in Cheltenham, Gloucester and Bath, which are largely part of the build contracts with Kia worth £82 million in total. City Fibre spokesperson told IS Preview, As would be expected with a programme of this scale, we continuously review the prioritisation of our rollout locations to take account of factors including competitive rollouts, build partner performance and deployment costs. As part of that process, we're pausing some local builds. City Fibre is now tasked with finding and appointing a new construction firm to complete Worcester's rollout. Hmm. Hmm. I really want to stop, says Thief in court. A prolific thief told her solicitor I really want to stop as she appeared in court to confess her latest crimes. We reported a year ago that Leanne Croke Loveridge, who's aged 39, of Newtown Road, Worcester, was jailed for a stealing spree which included the co-op in Ronxwood and Tesco in Warnden. 
On that occasion, magistrates had said the only way they could deal with her offending was with a custody sentence. But despite the spell behind bars, Croke Leverage returned to Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, September the 7th. She admitted three thefts from a shop, the offences taking place between June the 2nd and July the 24th this year. The court heard... Croke Loveridge stole £100 worth of bacon from the co-op, £150 worth of plants from Tesco and meat worth £144.58 from Lidl. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said the thefts had been very simplistic and unsophisticated. He added, Croke Loveridge's criminal record of 78 previous convictions was not great, with many of her past offences being of a similar nature. Gary Harper, defending, said... What always aggravates it is the record. I have to accept that. She's realistic of custody again. She tells me, I really want this to stop now. It's been going on for too long. Mr Harper said he was asking for an adjournment for the probation service to carry out an assessment on whether Willowdean Care Farm, which offers residential rehabilitation and respite services, could support her. There is a ray of light, Mr Harper added. Kevin Lloyd Wright, chairman of the magistrates' bench, said magistrates had agreed to the adjournment for the assessment as a potential alternative to custody. Croke Loveridge, who was given unconditional bail, was told to attend her sentencing at the court on September the 21st. So, two Worcester rowers will compete in a two-month-long race across the Atlantic to raise money for charity in memory of their childhood neighbour. Matt Bladen and George Farmelow, aptly, aptly known as the Worcester Boys, and I will have to tell you this, that it's a pun because the boys is spelt B-U-O-Y-S. They'll take part in the world's toughest row this winter, alongside 40 teams who will compete to be the fastest to row 3,000 miles. They plan to raise £250,000 for Acorns Children's Hospice in memory of their childhood neighbour, Jack Dyer, who died as a result of his severe cerebral palsy in late 2020. For 32 days, the Worcester boys will battle 20-foot waves and take over 1.5 million rowing strokes in two hours on, two hours off shifts to travel across the Atlantic from Lagomera in the Canary Islands to Nelson's Dockyard, English Harbour in Antigua. Matt and George's journey began 11 years ago when they first rode together at school in Worcester. Their bond is yet to take the ultimate test during this huge mental and physical challenge. The boys are currently on a comprehensive physical training schedule designed by personal trainers and specialist ocean rowing coaches. A skills training programme focusing on seamanship, navigation, survival at sea, first aid and radio use, and a psychological programme which will help to prepare them mentally for the challenge. Their boat, Pegasus, won the race last year under the stewardship of Mike Bates. The boys plan to repeat the success of the boat this year. So far, they have 17 confirmed sponsors and have raised £60,000 through events, sponsorship and donations. However, they plan to garner much more support to reach their fundraising goals. If you'd like to donate or support, head to their Just Giving page and to follow their story, visit www.worcesterboys, that's all one word, 
dot com and it's spelt B-U-O-Y-S, remember, Worcester Boys. And I wish them very best of luck, having had a very good friend's son do the same thing a few years ago, and it is gruelling, so I really hope they do well. <laughs> Wilco stores <coughs> in Worcester and Droitwich are set to become Poundland locations. <clears throat> Poundland owner Pepco has agreed to buy up to 71 Wilco stores following the collapse of the High Street chain. PwC, administrators for Wilco, said Pepco had sealed a deal which will see the stores reopened under the Poundland brand. Workers at the stores will not be transferred directly as part of the move, but Poundland has said it will prioritise existing Wilco workers for roles when the shops are opened under the new brand. Poundland said its new lease agreements are set to be completed in early autumn and it aims to open the stores by the end of 2023. Barry Williams, managing director of Poundland, said in the coming weeks we will work quickly with landlords so we can open these stores as Poundlands with the new ranges that have been pivotal to our recent development. Once that process is complete, we will, we will ensure a significant number of the Wilco colleagues will join our Poundland team. We recognise the last few weeks have been difficult for them and we will move quickly to secure new consents from landlords so we can offer them the certainty they deserve. It comes a day after administrators confirmed that all Wilco's remaining shop, warehouse and sports centre workers are set to lose their jobs after failing to secure a rescue deal. Family-owned Wilco employed 12,500 staff and ran 400 shops before it hired administrators early last month, after it came under pressure from weak consumer spending and debts to suppliers. After chaos has been caused outside a city primary school by ridiculous timed roadworks, said one councillor. Cars have been forced to move around large construction vehicles and occasionally mount the pavement while work is being carried out by utility firm Power On in Henwick Road, Worcester. It is causing great concern to parents of children at St Clement's C of E Primary School. Councillor Richard Udall, Worcestershire County and Worcester City Councillor of St John's, said It's utter chaos at school time on Henwick Road outside St Clement's School. Roadworks closing off parking spaces, machinery obstructing pavements and parents and children struggling to get to school. It's ridiculous in the extreme to have started this work, which I believe is not essential at the start of a school term outside a small primary school. We've had the long summer holidays for this to happen. To start now just beggars belief. The lack of information and no prior warning is also very bad. This is a residential road and people living here deserve more respect. I have no doubt the work has to be done, but it could have been organised and planned better than this. I hope all those involved recognise their errors and will learn from them. Work began on Monday the September the 4th. Multi-way traffic lights are in place and the work is expected to last until Wednesday, October the 25th. Miss McLean, head teacher at St Clement's C of E Primary School, said There are roadworks outside of the school which have been causing a bit of a problem for parents collecting their children. We've just had a six-weeks holiday so I'm not sure why these works couldn't have been carried out in this time. Neil Fitzsimons, Managing Director of Power On, apologised for the delay, but claims people were made aware of them in advance. 
he said it was an unfortunate coincidence of events that caused the obstruction to the drop-off point for the children on Friday morning at St Clement's, for which we were responsible and for which we sincerely apologise. We had scheduled the roadworks close to the school to be completed before the children returned for the start of the new school year, but an unavoidable delay meant that the two coincided. The arrival of a heavy goods vehicle at the time of the school drop-off and the obstruction it caused was unacceptable, even more so when it could have been avoided by better planning on the ground. We perfectly understand Councillor Udall's frustration at what happened, but would wish to correct him on one point. The neighbourhood was alerted to the roadworks, in writing, in advance. Mr Fitzsimon said work close to the school will be completed by Friday, September the 15th. Several parts of County Hall have been forced to close after dangerous concrete was found. Worcestershire County Council said it was it has found reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, known as RAC, at its headquarters at County Hall in Worcester and has been forced to shut several parts of the building and move staff. The Council's Chief Executive, Paul Robinson, said the top floors of each pavilion, the area around the council chamber and several meeting rooms have all been closed off pending further investigations. Mr Robinson said the disruption would not affect any of the council's services. Rock is a lightweight bubbly form of concrete used widely between the 1950s and the mid-1990s, especially for roofs, walls and floors and only lasts around 30 years. In a statement on Friday, September the 7th, Mr Robinson said the temporary closures were a precautionary measure and the safety of staff and the public was his number one priority. Government has recently changed its guidance on school buildings where the presence of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete is found, he said. RAC is not only present in school buildings and I have been made aware that County Hall has RAC present in its roof. The safety of our staff and public is our number one priority. Therefore, in line with government guidelines, and while further investigation work is taking place, as a precautionary measure, some areas of County Hall have been temporarily taken out of use and staff relocated to other areas of the building. County Hall remains open and unaffected areas are safe to use. These changes to where staff work from within County Hall will not impact service delivery for our residents and businesses in any way. At the end of August, the County Council said none of the schools it runs were affected by the same collapse risk concrete that had forced more than 100 others to close. Thousands of pupils were facing disruption just days before the start of the new school year after more than 100 schools, colleges and nurseries across the country were told to immediately close buildings made with concrete prone to collapsing. A plan to turn a beauty salon in the city centre into a new cafe has been given the green light by the council. Beauty Salon Pura in Broad Street, Worcester, will be turned into a new cafe under plans by chef Ashley Quinn after the move was backed by planners at Worcester City Council. A new Victorian-style shopfront would be built to match neighbouring buildings in Broad Street and fix the damage to the current entrance. The existing beauty salon Pura would move to the rear of the ground floor grade 2 listed building and run separately from the new cafe. In a report outlining the approval, the council said... 
The proposed use as a cafe would diversify the current use and result in the current owner being able to remain in business at the address. A cafe would be considered a use commonplace in shopping centres and the host property is fairly small. There could possibly be more noise than the existing use as a beauty salon, but this would only be measured when the business was up and running and if complaints were raised, investigated by Worcestershire Regulatory Services. Mr Quinn set up Café Vienna, later renamed Quinn's, in 1996 in Crowngate Shopping Centre in Friary Walk, before leaving in 2018. The café closed six months later. The move was welcomed by conservation officers at Worcester City Council, particularly the proposed, the proposed new shopfront. The proposed change of use and its associated works are acceptable, the council's planners said. Both a cafe and a food takeaway use have been associated with the premises in the past and the shopfront proposed for alteration is, probably, is most probably one consented to in 1993. Right. Uh, this is stories about a mayor, the mayor's visit to Mags. The mayor of Worcester visited a charity that supports the homeless and vulnerable. Councillor Louis Stephen visited the Mags Day Centre to explore the wide range of services that Mags offer to their clients. The visit included stops at the Worcester Day Centre, based in Deansway, and their clothing project in the tithing. Mayor Councillor Louis Stevens said... Unfortunately, homelessness is again rising in Worcester. I was keen to learn more about how Mags has expanded from the day centre to its current operations. Although I'd heard about Mags, as they've been around for almost 40 years, I didn't know about the Mags clothing project, so it was great to see how beneficial this project is, not only to Worcester, but to our surrounding areas. Please remember them when donating clothes and household items to charity shops. The clothing project, which has been open since 2020, is run solely on donations from the general public and is used on a referral basis from various organisations around the county. The team has seen a surge in visitors to the project, particularly over the last few months, and not only helps the homeless and vulnerable, but benefits asylum seekers, refugees and many more. Melissa Blewett, Marketing and Relations Manager at MAGS, said... It was a fantastic opportunity for Councillor Stephen to visit our Worcester Day Centre and the clothing project and showcase all of the work that MAGS does for service users across Worcestershire. As the number of rough sleepers rises, so does the demand for our services. Therefore, we need to make the public aware of how much they truly make a difference to people's lives with their kindness and generosity. MAGS works throughout Worcestershire and hosts two day centres in Worcester and Malvern, alongside four properties through the accommodation project. A city centre independent travel agency which helps clients visit magical destinations is helping bring some magic to the heart of Worcester next summer. Arrange My Escape has joined a growing number of county businesses supporting next summer's penguin-themed art trail in Worcester, which will raise funds for St Richard's Hospice. Established in 1990, the award-winning travel team has supported the county's hospice over many years and sponsored a giraffe in the charity's first art trail in 2018. General Manager at Arrange My Escape, Jennifer Lynch, said, We've seen the amazing things St Richard's does for patients and families, making time spent under their care as personal and special as possible.
When we saw that the hospice was calling for local businesses to help make the Penguin Trail possible, we jumped at the chance to be part of our second trail. We're usually helping our clients make memories in hand-picked destinations away from home, so it's fantastic to be helping create some more art trail magic on our doorsteps instead. The Great Waddle of Worcester opens on Monday, July the 22nd and runs for eight weeks until Sunday, September the 15th. This is 2024. A Wild in Art event. It will be the third art trail brought to the city by St Richard's. Sarah Matthews, Business Development Manager for St Richard's, said, Our our penguins had great fun with the Arrange My Escape team and Spirit was eyeing up a holiday to meet Father Christmas in their window. I think we assume Spirit is is a penguin. (laughs) For eight weeks, the Great Waddle allows us to provide fun, free days out for a community which gives so much to us as a hospice. The sculpture auction at the end helps us to continue our care for patients and their loved ones. We're so grateful to everyone at Arrange My Escape for waddling with us. 40 baby penguins will be available for adoption by local schools and community groups. Interest must be registered in advance. And that's uh, um, https slash slash waddleofworcester.co.uk slash schools. You can also follow the Great Waddle of Worcester at www.facebook.com slash waddleofworcester and twitter.com slash waddleofworc and Instagram, which is www.instagram.com waddleofworcester. And the Great Waddle of Worcester is supported by presenting partners, Crangate, DRPG, Worcester City Council and Worcestershire Ambassadors Community and Education Partner, Worcester Bid and Media Partners, the Worcester News and BBC Hereford and Worcester. To discuss sponsorship opportunities, call Sarah Matthews, Business Development Manager on 01905 763 or email smatthews at Richards. that's all one word, all lowercase, dot org, dot uk. Well, that's jolly exciting. I'm looking forward already to <laughs> <laughs> next summer and the penguins. Seven Valley Railway turned back the clock at the weekend, <clears throat> that's last weekend, by commemorating 60 years since the last ever British Railways trains graced the track. Seven Valley ran its pannier tank number 7714 on both Friday, September the 8th and Saturday, September the 9th. The engine carried a special headboard to mark the occasion. When the line closed in 1963, it was served by diesel rail cars, but the final departure from Bridge North to Birmingham Snow Hill was steam-hauled. It was followed by the last passenger service north of Bewdley, the 8.30pm Hampton Load to Snow Hill, which was formed of a three-car diesel set. However, less than two years later, a group of people attended a public meeting at the Cooper's Arms pub in Kidminster during July 1965, where the Seven Valley Railway Society was formed. Those pioneering preservationists started the long haul to reopen the line, which is now one of the UK's leading heritage railways. Lovely. A shocked mother who drove a Mercedes while disqualified to pick up pain relief for toothache sobbed as she was jailed. Amy Smith of Willis Place, Worcester, committed the offence in May, just weeks after being handed a suspended jail sentence. Smith said, oh no, as a dock officer closed the dock door 
and it dawned on her she would not escape jail this time. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, explained Smith was given the suspended sentence for driving while disqualified earlier this year. Just a month later, on May the 17th, an off-duty officer recognised Smith and the Mercedes SLK 200 she was in as he'd been the one to arrest her previously. Smith pulled into Sainsbury's car park in Swampool Walk, St John's Worcester. He takes the keys from the lady and calls the police, Mr Hamling said. Mr Hamling said the office, sorry, the offence was aggravated by Smith's two previous convictions for driving while disqualified. Amarjit Singhara, defending, said the defendant was aware she'd put herself in a difficult position and custody was a possibility. He said she was suffering severe tooth pain at the time. She drove to pick up some pain relief from Sainsbury's. He said Smith had made full and frank admissions straight away during a roadside interview with police. Mr Singhara added that Smith had complied with all the requirements for her suspended sentence order and had sold the Mercedes to prevent her from committing further offences. While Singhara mitigated Smith, sorry, while Singhara mitigated, Smith had her head in her hands in the dock. Magistrates left the courtroom for more than 30 minutes for their deliberations and on returning, Chairman of the Bench, Kevin Lloyd Wright, told the court the offence was so serious only immediate custody was suitable. It was committed so soon after the previous offence, a matter of a few weeks, Mr Lloyd Wright added. Smith was jailed for a total of 16 weeks. Smith was disqualified from driving for 27 months, being given the warning again about driving while disqualified. The defendant was ordered to pay £154 victim surcharge, but no costs were ordered. Smith sobbed as she was taken down by dock officers. Hmm. A plan to add more pictures to a controversial traveller site near Pershaw has been revealed. An application to increase the size of the traveller site by adding six more pictures at Duffeldown Farm in Upper Moor near Pershaw has been submitted to Witchhaven District Council. The added pictures would accommodate four traveller families each, with space for two caravans, including a static mobile home as well as three further transit pictures. The site has proved controversial when a number of families illegally moved onto the land 20 years ago. The traveller site off Evesham Road was approved in 2007, despite being turned down by Witchhaven District Council. After a planning application was rejected by council planners and then government inspectors after an appeal, a public inquiry was held where the plan was eventually passed with the then Secretary of State Ruth Kelly giving the green light. A plan to build 16 mobile homes alongside space for 16 caravans was rejected twice in 2019 and 2020 by Witchhaven District Council. At the time, West Mercia Police said it had serious concerns about the move, saying adding more pictures would reach a tipping point. There is already a significant number of gypsy and caravan pictures located over seven separate sites in the Hill and Moor area, the forces design out, crime officers said in an objection. I am of the opinion that the Hill and Moor parish has reached the tipping point where any more pictures are likely to place undue pressure on the local community and the respective quality of life of those residents. Additionally, West Mercia Police has seen an increase in reported antisocial activity, 
such as air rifles being fired at wildlife, dogs running loose, people entering neighbouring gardens, stealing wood, starting fires with groups, then gathering and drinking. Other reports include children throwing stones at vehicles on the main road. Such is the antisocial behaviour that West Mercia Police took the action of serving a community protection notice warning to one of the part owners of one of those sites. I am of the opinion that it's not an unreasonable assumption that an increase in pictures may lead to an increase in inappropriate activity. You can have your say on the plan by visiting Witchhaven District Council's website, which is cb at worcesternews.co.uk. Sorry, that's actually the, the, the website for the author of the article. <laughs> so it doesn't give you the w- oh, right. website for the District Council. Well, I'm, I'm going to read this article mm. because as a left-hander myself, mm. um, it, it's very interesting. A learning resource to help left-handed children has been developed by Worcester parents after they saw their own, str- their own son struggle. Left and Right, a provider of left-handed educational resources, has developed a new video training resource. Sorry, I haven't read that very well. Has developed a new video training resource designed specifically for teachers and parents of left-handed children. The inspiration behind the development of the training video stems from the personal experiences of Heather Stewart, a qualified teacher, and Mark Stewart, who has over 25 years of training experience. Their motivation to create a supportive and inclusive environment for left-handed people was further fuelled by their own personal journey as parents to a left-handed son. Witnessing their son's struggles and the limited resources available for left-handed individuals, they recognised the need to address this gap and founded Left and Right. The video resource includes a training video that breaks down essential aspects of the left-handed handwriting technique, a pre-training sheet with instructions and activities to help identify left or right-handedness. Additional resources include a teacher's checklist and a school audit tool that are provided to enhance a teacher's understanding and support for left-handed students. The video resource developed by Left and Right is an invaluable tool that has been long overdue, said Rob Snaith, a left-handed person and Director of Teachers' Courses and Resources Limited. I've witnessed firsthand the challenges faced by left-handed children in the classroom. This resource provides much-needed guidance and support for teachers and parents, helping them create an environment where left-handed children can thrive. The training video should be available in every school as its impact on improving left-handed children's educational experiences is transformative. The ultimate vision for this video is to see it in every school in the country, said Mark Stewart, co-founder of Left and Right. Best of luck to them. Mm. A rare caterpillar has been found in a village which has delighted Worcestershire Wildlife Trust. This hawk moth caterpillar, and there is a photograph provided, is one of the few larval sightings of the species in Worcestershire and was found at the Christopher Cadbury Wetland Reserve at Upton Warren, a site owned and managed by the Trust. There have previously been records of adult moths, but the larval sighting has caused a lot of excitement amongst the Trust staff and volunteers. Eleanor Reist, Eastern Reserves Officer responsible for the management of the reserve, said, 
Whilst it's uncertain as to whether this larva will cope with the colder autumnal weather conditions, this is an exciting find and demonstrates how valuable spaces like nature reserves are in providing habitats for wildlife. A big thank you to Paul Mosley, our volunteer reserve warden at Upton Warren, who found it and let us know about it. We're also grateful for local moth experts Tony Simpson and Oliver Wadsworth for confirming the record. I have to say, I can see the picture of this moth. It's not uh, going to win any beauty prizes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on your point of view. (laughs) (laughs) Some not-so-good news here. Smoking rates in Worcester increased last year, new figures show. Charity Action on Smoking and Health said the figures are a wake-up call as rates across the country are not falling fast enough to meet the government's target of 5% or less by 2030. Figures from the Office for National Statistics show 15.2% of adults in Worcester smoked in 2022, up from 12.3% the year before. It contrasts with trends across England where the national rate of smokers reached 127 the lowest level on record. Across the UK, smoking among adults also fell to its lowest level of 12.9% last year, a drop on the 13.3% reported in 2021. James Tucker, head of health analysis at the ONS, said the figure is consistent with the continuing trend towards a decline in smoking prevalence over recent years. However, Deborah Arnott, ASH chief executive, said smoking rates are falling but not nearly fast enough to deliver on the government's ambition of 5% or less by 2030. Financial stress and poor mental health are on the rise which we know makes it harder for smokers to quit. She added the government must step up its support for smokers by investing in campaigns to motivate smokers to quit and discourage young people to start. The ONS figures also showed 5.2% of people aged over 16 used e-cigarettes daily in 2022, up from 4.9%. Ms Arnott said the growth in vaping among adult smokers and ex-smokers was welcome as vaping is a very successful aid to quitting smoking. However, she added there's a worrying growth in vaping among teens and young adults with 15.5% of young people aged 16 to 24 years old vaping daily or occasionally last year. She said the government's response to the consultation on youth vaping due imminently must contain concrete measures to prohibit child-friendly branding and put products out of sight and out of reach in shops, as well as attacks on the pocket-money-priced disposable vapes most popular with children. The Department of Health and Social Care said it is looking to balance the public health opportunities vaping offers to smokers while protecting young people and non-smokers from using them. The data also revealed men in the UK were more likely to smoke with 14% 0.6% using cigarettes in 2022 compared to 11.2% of women. Similarly, men in Worcester were more likely to be smokers at 20.4% compared to 11.2% of women in the area last year. Mm. Well, after the moth story, here's another story about our wildlife. A giant pike has been peeping through a window at one of the city's most popular beauty spots. The curious fish, and there's a photograph of the fish, was filmed by Canal and River Trust staff at the Diglis Fish Pass viewing window.
It was swimming up to the glass close enough to see its pattern scales. According to the Canal and River Trust, pike are common in our waters, with all canals, reservoirs and rivers containing pike. Two cameras are always stationed in the viewing room, which monitors every fish which passes through. The viewing window is illuminated with a backlight so that the cameras can detect fish at all times of the day. The purpose of a fish pass is to allow fish to move past man-made blockages in water. In Diglis, the weir means that many fish looking to travel upstream struggle due to the two-metre separation. The weir was installed in the 1840s to create a deeper, more reliable pool of water upstream for boats. Stronger fish like salmon are occasionally able to get past the weir by jumping, but many species do not possess the required strength. The pass consists of 11 small pools, each just 20 centimetres higher than the last, making it more manageable for the fish to swim through. The fish detect the stream of water in the river and can travel upwards, with walls in each pool relieving some of the force created by the water. And you can go for a trip... Um, and it says you can for for to see this it's at www dot unlocking the seven one word dot co dot uk forward slash August events at Diglis Fish Pass, which seems to me a little bit out of date <laughs> as a reference as it's September now. Okay. An atrocious smell of sewage from an overflowing drain has been making residents gag and even began to seep into a living room. Three residents of Fieldhouse Gardens, a retirement housing complex on Stanley Road, have been trying to get the overflowing drain addressed, but have so far been unsuccessful. Clumped toilet paper and sewage have been pooling around the manhole cover outside of the windows belonging to the residents. Lillian Thomas, one of the residents of Fieldhouse Gardens, has been trying to get the problem sorted. She said... Around five weeks ago now, Sue, Mary and I all rang to complain about a drain outside our properties that had started to overflow. Since then, we've been trying to get Platform to sort out the problem as the smell has been utterly atrocious. We have constantly been told that the issue is going to be resolved, but here we are still waiting for something to happen. Sue Roberts said September's heatwave made the smell even worse and even stopped residents from opening windows despite the high temperatures. She said, it's not fair at all to have residents living amidst these disgusting conditions. There was one point when the sewage started to actually seep into my living room. The smell's been so bad, it's actually made me gag. There's just been so much back and forth and you can never seem to be able to get through to people on the phone, Mary Lewis said. If there were commutable offices in Worcester, I would have travelled there to try and talk to somebody in person. Martin Woods, head of external contracts at Platform Housing Group, apologised for the issue. He said, We are sorry to hear of our customers' concerns regarding the shared drain. Our contractors have vacuumed out the drain today and are working to put a plan of action in place to resolve the issue. Let's hope they get it done soon. Mm. More than half a million trips were made at a county-wide railway station within 12 months. Figures show over 540,000 journeys have been made from Worcestershire Parkway Railway Station in 12 months. The journeys made were between April 2022 and March 2023, and it's the kind of volume the County Council did not expect to achieve for at least another 11 years. 
Worcestershire Parkway opened in February 2020. A special event took place to celebrate Worcestershire Parkway, organised by Great Western Railway. Mrs Beatrice Grant, His Majesty's Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, West Worcestershire MP Harriet Baldwin and Lord Faulkner of Worcester, Chair of the North Cotswold Line Task Force, were all in attendance, as well as Councillor Simon Garachty, leader of Worcestershire County Council. Councillor Mark Bayliss, Cabinet Member with the Responsibility for Economy, Infrastructure and Skills, said, It's fantastic that Parkway has exceeded all the initial expectations and significantly more people are using it than we had hoped for only three years after opening. Rail is critical to the ongoing economic development of Worcestershire, providing low-carbon travel choice and the potential for enhanced connectivity to high-growth economies throughout the country for businesses and residents in Worcestershire. GWR Business Development Portfolio Director Tim Pierpoint said, We're delighted that Worcestershire Parkway customer numbers are so far ahead of expectations to be hitting travel figures now that were initially anticipated to be reached in 2031 is remarkable and a testament to everyone involved in the planning, design and building of the station. It shows how much appetite there is for a modal shift to rail and how important the railway is for economic development and sustainability. There is the potential for even greater growth and we look forward to continuing our work with Worcestershire County Council and the Department for Transport to truly realise the potential for this very important station. At the event, there were several speeches made and a plaque was unveiled by Beatrice Grant to mark the occasion. Worcestershire Parkway, located east of Junction 7 of the M5, is accessible for commuters and longer-distance travellers from all over the county. The station serves two railway lines, North Cotswold Line, which goes to London Paddington, and the Birmingham to Bristol Line. The station was the first new station to open in Worcestershire for in over a hundred years. Gosh. Well, that's a good story to finish um, all our news stories yes. with. And I think we've got a couple of sports stories each to mm. uh, go through. Interestingly, <coughs> not a lot of football or cricket on this occasion, which is normally what dominates. Mm. We've got some rather more diverse and perhaps, mm. well, just different stuff to share with you. And I'm going to begin with um, a short article about a young schoolboy who has been picked for the FIFA World Cup warm-up tournament. So off we go. Worcester school pupil Noah Dupont has been called up to represent his country at an upcoming FIFA World Cup warm-up tournament in September. Dupont, a 15-year-old from King's Worcester, will be joining the 18-strong squad New Zealand Under-17 squad to compete on the international stage against teams from Japan, Venezuela and, I've never heard of this country, Niigata. I'm not sure where that is, but there we go. Might be a mistake. Dupont, a centre-back for West Bromwich Albion, also celebrated being called up to his club's Under-18 team over the summer and made his starting debut last weekend. It didn't really sink in when I got the news, added Dupont, but now I'm really excited and looking forward to joining the New Zealand camp and playing football in a different country with a different team at a much higher level. To be selected as one of the 18 players is an amazing feeling and very surreal. It's going to be an incredible experience and I'm going to put in my very best effort. The sign-up for New Zealand came about as Dupont recently acquired dual nationality for New Zealand as his mum was born there. 
The warm-up tournament is a preparation event for the FIFA Under-17 World Cup, which takes place later this year. Best of luck to him. Mm. 47 teams from 16 different clubs took part in a successful girls' World Cup-themed football tournament. As previously reported, the Nunnery Wood Colts hosted the event, inspired by the recent success of the Lionesses at the club's home ground at Blessed Edward Old Corn Corn Catholic College in Worcester on Saturday. Photos of some of the winners in each final can be found in our photo gallery here, and there's some lovely pictures of one, two, three, four, five teams. Tournament organiser and under-16s Nunnery Pythons manager said... As a club, we were delighted that the tournament was such a success. It was great to see so many girls playing and enjoying their football. Coaches and parents from across the club came together to ensure everything ran smoothly and we're very much looking forward to hosting a bigger and better event next year. That was a nice article. Mm. Um, Interestingly, another one about young girls, or even in this case, singular. A talented golfer from Worcester has been crowned a world junior golf champion after winning an event in Ireland. 14-year-old Maisie Whittle from Battenhall recently joined 250 junior golfers from over 40 different countries to play in the Champion of Champions Invitational World Junior Golf Championship held at the Loch Erne Resort in Enniskillen, Ireland. Whittle of Gaudet Luce Golf Club in Droitwich played in the girls' 13 to 15 age category and took an early one-shot lead after the first round, played on the Castle Hume course, carding a score of 73. Day two then moved to the Faldo Championship course where terrible weather returned and caused delays to play, resulting in over six-hour rounds and generally higher scores through the field as players grappled with the challenging conditions. Whittle shot 78, and increased her lead by a further shot to take a two-shot lead into the final day. The final round on the Faldo Championship course fortunately saw finer weather again, and Maisie closed out the tournament with another solid round of 73, one over par, to increase her lead by a further three shots and to win the girls' under-15 World Championship title by five shots. I am well impressed by that. What a lovely story. Mm. And this is your our final sports story, I think. Isn't yes, it? and uh, although it's uh, a mixed team, it's also about a woman, this time a rower. A Worcester rower now has five gold medals after helping Great Britain earn a poignant triumph in Belgrade. Ghidra Rakaskaita added to her World Rowing Championship gold medal tally, teaming up with Ed Fuller, Morgan Feist Noyes, Frankie Allen and Coxswain Erin Kennedy to come home just under three seconds clear of the USA in the PR3 Mixed Coxed 4 class. The crew also earned a Paralympic quota place with their performances in Serbia and Raka Skyter cannot wait to relive the thriller. She said... It's an amazing feeling and the race was incredible. I can't wait to watch it and I think I'll be on the edge of my seat. The 32-year-old has now won four World Championship golds in this class to go with her victory as part of the (coughs) Coxless pair last year. 
An unbeaten season this time round means they will be moving among the favourites. To defend the Paralympic crown, Rekha Skyter helped earn in Tokyo when the competition heads to Paris next summer. While this success was particularly emotional for Erin Kennedy, the coxswain missed the competition 12 months ago while undergoing chemotherapy following her breast cancer diagnosis, but returned earlier this year having been given the all-clear. European Championship gold in May marked the start of the emotional comeback and that has now been added to in style. Erin Kennedy said, It feels amazing to unite all the titles again. This time last year, I was sat at home feeling pretty sorry for myself, but I was so proud of the team. I've been dreaming of this day for a really long time, so to be back in the middle of the podium with the best team in the world, I couldn't be happier. I've been chasing this. Being an athlete, you have ideas of how you can compartmentalise and manage yourself, and I have applied that hugely in my cancer world. I'm so grateful, and I want to thank the National Lottery, who continued funding me throughout my treatment, British Rowing, my coaches and my teammates. Yes. Nice news nice story. stories there. Yeah. Right, uh, well we're nearly finished for this week but before we go I'd first of all like to do the birthday file and it's Leslie Jones's birthday on the 21st of September and that's a week today so many happy returns and I hope you have a wonderful day and if there's anyone else out there who wants to be included in the forthcoming weeks please get in touch and we can add you to the file. I've also got here the sunrise and sunset times this morning the sun rose at 6.41am and it will set tonight at 7.27pm. So last but not least, the thought for the week. And this is taken from Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to say a particularly big thank you to Catherine for joining me, because I think I'd have been doing it all on my little Jack Jones otherwise. <laughs> uh, she's done a great job. And yeah, also a yeah. big thank you to Barry for taking over the engineer's role mm -hmm. for us this week. Um, and thank you again to our team who do the copying and administration. So have a good week, all our listeners. And it's goodbye from me, Pippa, and goodbye from Catherine. Goodbye. Christopher David Craven, known as Chris, passed away on September the 1st, aged 55. A funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium on Thursday, September the 28th at 1pm. Family flowers only. Donations in Chris's memory are invited for the British Lung Foundation and these may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR101HZ. Muriel Olive Dorothy Davis, nay Hayes, passed away peacefully on the 12th of August 2023, aged 95. The funeral will take place at St Wollstone's Church, Cranham Drive, Worcester, WR4, 9PA, at 11.45 on Friday, September the 22nd. 
followed by a burial at St John's Cemetery, McIntyre Road. Marjorie Anne Turvey, known as Anne, passed away peacefully surrounded by family on September the 2nd, 2023, aged 91. A funeral service will take place at the Church of St Barnabas, Drake's Broughton, on Monday, October the 2nd, at 1pm, followed by a committal service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury. Flowers or donations in Anne's memory are invited for the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity. These may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10, 1HZ. Patricia Hill passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on 27th of, the, 27th of August, aged 81. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 19th of September at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Sue Lowe passed away peacefully on the 22nd of August, age 74. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 19th of September at 12.15pm. Donations which may be left at the service are invited for St Richard's Hospice. Graham Rice, known as Ricey, passed away on the 24th of August after a long illness. Graham requested a private funeral, but for you to remember him in your own way. Always in our thoughts, Wendy, Amy and Adam. <laughs> 